here. Pastor Brad's been asking us to read the Bible, so let's see if I can. I only got a few minutes before we got to get to work here. Oh, okay. Let's just do this the right way here. All right. All right. The Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and confusion of mind. At midday, you will grope about like a blind person in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. (laughs) Day after day, you will be oppressed and robbed with no one to rescue you. What? I'm going to try the new part here. Okay. All right. Here we go. All right. Okay. Here we go. Let's try this again. Here we go. Um, Brothers and sisters... If I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. (laughs) Have you ever played Bible roulette in the morning? You know, you're just kind of, Lord, I need to hear something. I'm supposed to read this, you know, and here we go, right? I think we all know that, you know, that's probably not the best way of approaching Scripture. Although I have heard, I mean, God has, you know, uses the Word of God in crazy ways, and I don't want to downplay that. But I think we all kind of know that that's probably not what it's supposed to do in my life, right? But the truth is, a lot of our Bible reading um, isn't a whole lot different than that. Um, We're busy, right? Some of us uh, know that, man, I, I don't have a ton of time in my morning, and, and before you know it, you look at the clock, and you're out the door, and you just have enough time for maybe the verse of the day, right? And the verse of the day maybe comes to you uh, from an email or from maybe an app on your phone, and it's this little nugget, right, for the day. Um, but you know, I, I was wondering, why not, you know, have these kind of verses shown up every morning, right? Like, uh, Obviously, if we're going to just take a scripture out of context and make it the verse of the day, they're all God's words, aren't they? I mean, you know, why not? Why not the the one about groping in noonday and no one there to rescue you? You know, uh, I think I think it's just kind of interesting how we we pick parts of the Bible to have the, as the verse of the day with that little devotional inspiration. But I want to really kind of challenge us today that. That approach, that approach of like a little snack in the morning, that approach really isn't going to cha- transform us long term. The, the truth of the matter is, if, if we're really going to really have success in our walk with Jesus, right, we can't snack on scripture, right? The truth is, guys, we can't snack our way to spiritual health. We can't do that. Like, that's not going to work. But as we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, you know, this is, a, this is an intimidating book for a lot of us, right? If you're newer to, to faith, if you're newer to church, or maybe if you've been in church a long time, it's just, I mean, it's a big, thick book. It's ancient. It's at times a little strange. Like, what is it saying? And how do I understand this? And how do I, how do I interpret it? And so if you felt that way, I, I just want you to know you're not alone, Right? You're not alone, but we have to think, how are we supposed to engage scripture, right? If if the little snack each day is not really going to sustain a vibrant Christian walk, then then what do we do? 
And that's what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about how we're supposed to engage with Scripture because can I just be honest with you guys for a moment about our, the state of the church in America? You know, our approach thus far for, for most of the church, it really isn't working, right? So many Christians that describe, self-describe themselves as Christians live no different than anyone else, right? Our divorce rates are about the same. In fact, uh, the term evangelical Christian for the younger generation has become a dirty word. We're known for what we're against. We weaponize the Bible politically instead of embodying Jesus practically. And this is, a, this is a, the challenge where the state of the church is and our, de- our, our influence in culture is declining, right? People have said, man, I, I really am attracted to Jesus, but I don't like the church. And so people are opting for new spiritualities and, and, and kind of new pathways, and they're going to miss the good news of Jesus. Friends, we need to go on a walk that leads to genuine transformation from the inside out. We need to have God's word that we know is powerful, that we know can transform people. We need to have that happen to us. Is anybody else with me on this, right? We want to go on a journey of transformation. And I want to kind of talk about that today. I want to really look at this, uh, what God's word says, what God himself says about how we're supposed to engage with his word. Because we've kind of turned it into something that it really was never meant to be. We've turned it into like, a, like an inspirational book, you know, to give you basic instructions before leaving earth. Have you ever heard of that acronym? Bible, B-I-B-L-E, right? And that's not what it is. It's not basic instructions before leaving earth. It's the story of a, of a God who out of his love created all of us. And although we rebelled and we followed the enemy in his reckless, passionate, undying love for us will not quit until he woos your heart. And you'll have to do everything in your power to resist that love if you're going to, because our God's love is like a river of fire chasing down every one of us. But that's what this story is about. It's about God's relentless pursuit of the human heart and and creation itself to bring all things back under his authority as it belongs. Can I get an amen? I'm ready to preach a whole different sermon right now because I just get caught up in the story of God. Actually, that's next week. So we'll we'll, we'll do that next week. Um, I want to look at this important text though because if we're not supposed to snack on scripture, if, if we're supposed to do something else, what is it we're supposed to do? And there's this, uh, there's this pivotal moment in the story of, of, of Israel where there's a leadership change between Moses and Joshua, right? Joshua has been with Moses for the entire journey. These ex-slaves, if you know that story, they were in Egypt and they were oppressed and they were enslaved and God brought them out of Egypt. And instead of really going directly into the promised land, they, 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 they tempted God. They, they didn't trust God. They didn't they didn't follow Yahweh as they should have. And so they, they have this 40-year detour in the, in, the, in, the, in the desert. And now they're ready to finally make that move. And Joshua is now going to take the reins. And God comes to Joshua at this pivotal moment in the story. This young man's about to take these people who are hard to lead, okay? If you know the story, you know they are really not good at following orders. And they're really, you know, not really trained as an army. And they're about to face all of these these, these people in this, in, this, in this promised land that have fortified cities and they're giants and it's scary and people don't think they can do it. And, 
at that moment in the story, here's what happens. Joshua chapter one, God says to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give them, I will give you every place uh, where you set your foot as I promised to Moses. And then a few verses later, he says these words to Joshua. He says, be strong and very courageous because this is a, just a, just a battle in front of you. This is a, a really a formidable foe for you, Joshua. So you're gonna be strong and you're gonna need to be courageous. He says, be careful to, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. And here is the powerful word that God gives to Joshua in verse eight. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Meditate on this book of instruction day and night. Hmm. It's a powerful word to give a young leader before he takes Israel into this unknown territory full of giants and fortified cities. The book of Psalms, this beautiful book of poetry and, and praise to Yahweh, the biggest book in your Bible, it begins with this imp important preface. Psalm 1 and 2 kind of introduce the entire, the entire hymnal to us in Psalms. And I want you to see what the author of Psalm 1 says. Look at this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or who stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Notice this, but they delight in the law of the Lord. Here's our word again, meditating on it day and night. Meditate, meditate. You know, when you see that word meditate, right? Uh, today, you might think of some kind of like Eastern kind of, you know, uh, contemplation to a higher state of consciousness, right? Like a, an emptying of your mind so that you can kind of center yourself, maybe, maybe some yoga poses to help you be centered a little bit, right? But that's not what the word meditate means in the Hebrew Bible. The, the word meditate comes from the Hebrew word haga. Can we all say the word haga? Haga. Don't you guys like the Hebrew lessons that we sometimes have? Haga, right? And the word haga in the Hebrew, it comes from this kind of animal sound, this low sound that an animal makes. And it means to murmur or mutter. Um, and it, it gives you the idea of, of somebody who is kind of just audibly kind of repeating or muttering uh, something over and over and over. So you can picture kind of an ancient Hebrew kind of, in, you know, meditating on the law, the Torah, right there over and over, right? Like love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? This idea of kind of repeating the Shema or repeating some, some, some kind of text of scripture over and over. The second definition is the thoughtful, uh, go back, yeah. The act, we'll get to the cow in a second, okay? You weren't supposed to see the cow. It's not an advertisement for Chick-fil-A. Okay, here we go. The act of thoughtful deliberation with the implication of speaking to oneself. So instead of the Eastern idea of emptying your mind, actually it's the opposite. It's feeling your mind. 
It's filling your mind on, on scripture, on the words and promises of God and, and repeating those to yourself day and night. It's this orality around scripture saying it out loud. There's something powerful about speaking it out. And so um, it comes from this kind of this livestock imagery. Here's where the cow comes in. This idea of meditation comes from what cows would do as they would sit and regurgitate the, the, the morning breakfast, right? And they're going to chew the cut again. They're going to chew it again, right? The idea of meditation and chewing, they kind of go hand in hand. This, and it evens in our vernacular, like, what are you chewing on, right? Or what, what have you been thinking about? And let me ask you that question. What are you chewing on? I mean it. I want, I want you to think about, what is it that you, you've been chewing on? What's been kind of going through your mind all week? What's been kind of rolling around upstairs, kind of on maybe a loop? Is it a relationship that's not going the way you wanted it to go? Is it a, a disappointment with the stage you're in in life? An anxiety? Is it, is it just whatever's happening on social media, you know? We just kind of scroll there. We live there. We live in a world full of noise, don't we? I mean, there was a day when, you know, honestly, you would get up, you would go to work, and you would go home, and then you'd have to turn on this thing called a TV. It was in your living room, and it only had a few channels. When I was a kid, we, we didn't pay for cable. That was for rich people. We didn't have that, right? And so we just had a few channels, and honestly, I spent most of my days as a kid playing outside. That's where I, riding my bike, I rode everywhere, and my mom didn't know where I was until the streetlights went on. That was the world I grew up. I know I would never let my daughters do that today. I get that, right? But today, where are my kids? Can I be more transparent? Where do I live? I live right here. I'm waiting for my burrito, and I'm on, can I really get, I'm on Facebook and I'm watching those reels. I know I've talked about this before and I get made fun of all the time for it, right? But literally, like, there is so much entertainment right here on my phone, right? And the craziest things, like the other day, I was so just mesmerized by, the, by this guy from the GoPro on a, on a wingsuit. Have you guys seen those videos? Like, how did they not run into the mountains? I didn't know they do sometimes, right? But I'm just saying, like, wow, like, how do you do that? Like, humans really want to fly. I mean, that's obvious, right? I can go on a rabbit trail. But that's me. Like, I'm just like, you know, hey, if I have nothing to do, I've got the whole world at my hand right here. We live in this constant bombardment of noise. Do you, you guys know the, the longest psalm in the book of Psalms is all about God's word. The longest psalm. I want to look at one stanza from that psalm. Look at what it says. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? So young people, I know y'all up front. Here's the question. How can a young person, here it is, not destroy their life? Let's just translate that a little bit, right? Because this isn't about just like, hey, I'm going to stay pure, right? No, it's not like ruin your life. Like you get one shot, like don't ruin it, right? So that's the question. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? Answer, by living according to your word. I seek you with all of my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. 
Notice like the kind of the ways the different terms are used for scripture, right? Word, decrees, commands. With my lips, I will recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I mean, think about that emotional pull. The psalmist is literally saying like, I rejoice in the statutes of God like a winning lottery ticket, right? Like, really? I think I would rejoice in a lottery ticket. Hmm. It says, I meditate on your precepts. Consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. You know, this psalm is about how we should delight in scripture. I, uh, we, we, we titled this series, The Word. I wanted to call it Love Scripture. <laughs> I got voted down, right? People are like, Brad, I don't know. Okay, but let me tell you, this is why this was the heart behind the series. Because I believe that's exactly the posture of someone who really knows God. They just love Scripture, they just delight in it. Not in a weird way, not in some, but honestly in this like, man, I just learned to just love scripture. Friend, let me tell you, there is a way to get there in your walk with Jesus, but it's not gonna happen if we just snack a little bit each day. That doesn't happen that way. You don't get to that place where you just say what this psalmist is saying with a little verse of the day as I run out the door with some coffee in my hand and a, a, lot, of, a lot of deadlines on my calendar. We gotta slow down and meditate. We gotta ruminate. Can I show you from the life of Jesus where I think he does this? And the payoff is huge. Chris, he read this for us when we opened up. Man, I wanna preach this right now, you guys. You ready? Come on. Who's excited to hear about God's word today? Come on. Yeah, there you go. All right. Matthew chapter four. Let me explain what's happening. Jesus is about to begin his ministry. He has been growing up as a, as, a, as, a, as a Jewish boy in, in Nazareth, in Galilee, uh, we don't know much about his childhood, but we know that he has been meditating on scripture day and night. We know that in a lot of ways. I'm not gonna unpack all that right now, but Jesus has been meditating on scripture. He's now been baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, his cousin. Essentially, as soon as he's out of the waters, Mark and Matthew say this a little differently. Matthew says Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Mark says Jesus is basically thrust by the Spirit. He's, he's literally driven into the desert. I've been to Israel. I've told you about that. It looks similar to the geography around here. So imagine you just like, you know, you're ready to start. You just get baptized. Like, yeah, everyone's cheering for you. Like, yes, finally, you give your life to Jesus. Amen, right? You get baptized. The next thing you know, you wake up and you're like way out there by mesquite somewhere, like in the desert. Like, whoa, that's where Jesus is at. Look what happens next. It says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, Satan is not confused about who Jesus is. This really isn't, you know, questioning Jesus's identity. Other devils, junior devil, devils, lower devils knew exactly who Jesus was. There was no confusion. But what Satan is doing is he's trying to bait Jesus. He's trying to bait Jesus into this place where he would use the privileges that come from being the son of God for his own advantage. And Jesus is going to do the opposite of that. He's laying aside the privileges 
that come along with his status so that he could save us. And so Satan is trying to tempt Jesus to use his privilege. He's the crown prince of heaven. Why, how, why would he be hungry? Why would he allow himself to go through this? Change these stones into bread. Well, that activates something in the scripture-soaked mind of Jesus. This idea of bread and stones, this idea of the wilderness activates this passage in Jesus's mind. In, in his response to Satan, and we've read this, is it is written, man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let me ask you a question. What are we to learn from this? Because Satan is tempting Jesus. Jesus now quotes scripture back to Satan. And what you could say when you see this is that's a little weird. Um, maybe that's what I do. If I feel tempted, I need to just start throwing Bible verses at it, right? Like I know I'm feeling really, I'm feeling lustful. So let me just throw some Bible verses at it, right? I'm, I'm feeling like uh, tempted to cheat. Let me just, uh, you know, read the Bible and you know, oh, what was that verse of the day? Oh, that was about groping in the middle of the morning. No, that one won't work. Let me find a different one, right? Because this is kind of like spiritual warfare, right? And just kind of, no, that's not what ha is happening here. Jesus is not throwing Bible verses at Satan, Jesus is revealing what a scripture-soaked mind does when it's tempted. Here's what happened. Jesus pulled the file from his mind. What was the file? It was bread, wilderness, temptation. Where is that at? It's in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's read it. Let's read the file that Jesus pulled mentally when he faced that temptation. Here it is. Moses is there and he's, he's about to pass on. And we talked about when Moses passed it over to Joshua. But these are the last words of Moses and they sound similar to what Joshua is saying, but this is a little different. It's a recap of their experience with Yahweh in the desert. And here's what Moses says. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Keep going. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. These how many years? How long was Jesus in the wilderness? You guys are sharp. Check this out. To humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to what? Jesus is what? Hungry. Are you guys all tracking with this? So now Jesus says, okay, I'm being tempted to change stones to bread. There was another time in the scripture where people were in the desert and they were tempted. They were tempted to doubt God because guess what? In the desert, there's no In-N-Out burgers like there are today, right? Like in our desert, you can drive for a while and there's In-N-Out burger. In those days, there's no In-N-Out burger. So if you're in the desert and you're all alone, guess what? You're wondering where your next meal's gonna come from. And if you read the story of Israel, that's exactly what they were wondering. Hey, we've been on this walk for a few days now and uh, where's the meal coming from? Israel was being tested in the desert and instead of trusting Yahweh, they doubted Yahweh. Instead of leaning in, they leaned out. They tried to get someone to take them back to Egypt of all places. 
Like, hey, let's just figure it out, man. This Yahweh guy, he's not showing up for us. We don't know. He's just led us out here to kill us. They think all the worst of Yahweh. And so they're, they're like, let's just turn around and go back. And Yahweh's finding out what's in their heart. It says this, it says, and here it is. Which neither you, he says, he humbled them, causing them to hunger, and then, and then fed them with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you, here's our text, that man does not live on bread alone, but, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. You see, Jesus understands the score. He understands the tactic. He knows what's at stake. He knows that this attack by the enemy isn't, because if you looked at it, like, what's the big deal? I mean, yeah, just make the stones into bread. Like, what's the big deal? Jesus says, this is a huge deal because this isn't just about making rocks into bread. This is about whether or not I trust my father. See, the scripture-soaked mind can see through the deception of the enemy. Do you want to know why we make bad decisions and we walk right into the traps? Do you know why we really don't make any headway in our walk with Jesus is because our minds are not soaked in scripture and we're not seeing the, the, the designs of the enemy to destroy our lives. We, we, we don't listen to instruction. We don't listen to wisdom. We don't listen to our counselors and our wise mentors. We don't walk in the way of instruction. You know what the question is that the, that the scripture constantly wants us to, to ask? And I was talking to Mel about this. I love this. It's, what kind of God is Yahweh? What kind of God is he? Scripture is constantly asking you to ask that question. As you meditate on the stories, as you look at the, at the, at the, the narrative, as you think about people like Joseph or Abraham, or you think about Daniel, you think about the Israelites, you think about their temptation moments, and you know, you, you're constantly faced with this question. Can I trust God? Can I trust him with my finances? Can I trust him with my future? Can I trust him with my kids? Is he faithful? Are his promises true? Does prayer work? What happens if I really seek the Lord with like all of my heart, not half of my heart? What if I really go all in to use that poker metaphor and I just say, you know what? I'm fully surrendering to Jesus. Is God the kind of God? Is Yahweh the kind of God I can trust? Man, that's, that's the question scripture's asking. And that's the answer you should be saying, but the problem is sometimes I don't get out of the boat when I'm in the storm. I don't join Jesus on the waves. Come on, somebody. Are you guys catching all these metaphors? Are you understanding how it works now? Jesus is out there on the waves. He says, oh, come on, Peter, get out of that boat. Trust me. Come on, walking on the, do the impossible because I'm the God of the impossible. Come on, I can have the victory because I defeated the enemy when I rose again from the grave. I'm already excited about Easter. I want to say, I think the closest we get as a culture to this scripture-soaked mind is the way our minds are soaked and kind of formed by pop culture, right? Um, see, we don't wake up every morning or for our whole lives, like reading scripture and meditating on scripture and go to bed, meditate. But what we do do is we look at all the movies and the, you know, and the pop culture, the songs, the, the, all the stuff on Instagram or, or Facebook. And, and that's honestly what's forming us and shaping us. And I'll prove this to you. And this isn't like me saying, don't watch any more movies or listen to the radio. But this is just a fact. Like our minds are shaped. Our thoughts 
have been shaped, but not by scripture, right? Let me give you, give you this. If I say this, if I say, may the force be with you, everybody knows that's from where, right? If I say there's no place like home, right? We're thinking about a little girl who had a terrible storm come and took her off to the land of Oz, right? And what color were her shoes? Yep, yep, you guys know that. If I say, I'm king of the world, right? Uh, you're saying, oh boy, he's on the Titanic and he's going down, right? Um, and what did Rose throw in the ocean? You guys remember that, right? She threw the big diamond necklace. How about this? You guys finished this phrase. Life is like a box of chocolates. You're never going to know what you're going to get, right? See, see, our minds are shaped. And, so, and I'm not saying these are bad things. This is just a fact. This is just an American 2023 thing, right? is our minds are shaped by the things we consume. I got one more for you guys. And I, I realized this morning that there's a generational divide here. I'm really going to sound old. But if you're in Gen Z, you're not going to know the answer to this, probably. Everybody else does, right? So here's the question. Put my screen up there. Do you feel what? Lucky, right? Right? And we all know that, right? And even if that was made, that movie was made before I was born, just so everyone knows, okay? But I still know that because that's in our culture, Right? Let me say this, guys. We snack on scripture. We meditate on social media. Think about it. I know more about the drama with the English royal family <laughs> than I do about the parables of Jesus. Then the Sermon on the Mount. Come on. I might, not, I might know more about the gossip in the 10th grade love triangles or whatever, right? Listen, then I do about when Jesus teaches about building my house on the rock. I have all of the stats for my favorite NFL team memorized. And I have maybe John 3.16 memorized. It's getting quiet in here. Yeah, I know. How about this? I think more about politics than the Apostle Paul. I think more about my portfolio than I do the parables. I could keep going, you guys. <laughs> See, your mind has meditated. You've been chewing. All of us have been chewing. I know we don't like to be compared to, to cows, but that's just it. You can't live and not chew. So let me say it. If life tastes bad, maybe you're chewing on the wrong food. Yeah? But what could happen? Come on. What could be our life? I want to show you what Paul says to, to Timothy. Look what he says to his young disciple. He says, from infancy, you have known the Holy Scriptures since you were a baby, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Through faith in Christ Jesus, he goes on, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me tell you, and I was talking to Melanie about this. I really loved what she said. She goes, you know, God could have given us like a how-to book. 
He could have given us like a set of rules that we could just easily figure out what God wants, but he didn't communicate scripture that way. He communicated in poetry, in proverb, in narrative, right? In all of the, in, in apocalyptic, which is a really weird one. He communicated all these genres over all these centuries, 40 different authors, 1,500 years, all to tell us about God's great love for us, his pursuit of us. And there are rough parts. And those rough parts are meant for us to, to meditate on and chew. How does God's character show up in this story that I don't understand? How is it that God allows suffering? I just got done reading Job the other day, right? Like Job goes through this extended suffering and all of human questions are wrapped up in the questions of Job. And at the end, it's not God answering every question, but God revealing who he is. And Job sits there and he says, I was an idiot, <laughs> right? Like that's kind of it. He's like, man, I just kind of, wow. And I just have to believe when the curtain is pulled and everybody sees God in his glory, right? We will know like every question is gonna be resolved in the love that God has for us. Every doubt, every, every worry will be, will be just rested and put at ease when the lamb returns and he makes all things new. I was meditating the other day. You know, we, we had this, uh, I had so much fun teaching about the life of Mary around Christmas. I'm gonna tell you a quick story. I was, I was meditating on the life of Mary and I was reading through Luke especially and I'd read, read some incredible books about Mary and about these passages in Luke. And I was, I was thinking about Mary's song, the Magnificat, and I, was, uh, I, was, I, w- I went to sleep. I was on a prayer walk and I was just, Lord, I just think there's something else about Mary here. And I went to sleep, and at three in the morning, I woke up. And I woke straight out of bed, and all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready to do the lesson. I'm like, okay, like, all right. Uh, he's like, um, I, felt, I felt the Spirit says, I want you to think about Mary. And it's like three in the morning, okay. It's like, uh, when does Mary start talking? It's like, well, in Luke... She doesn't say a lot to Gabriel. She basically just says, how's this going to happen? And then she says, I'll be the servant of the Lord. Yeah. And then Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And she doesn't say anything at first. Elizabeth does the talking. And when Mary opens her mouth, it's a song. And it's like the Spirit says, when you start singing, things start changing. And Mary's song isn't just a song, it's a prophecy. It's a prediction. It's actually a powerful prediction about what will be the case for Mary's life. This little girl who's obviously afraid of the unknown future, but it's not unknown, that's just it. She has this prophetic song that's given to her. Guys, listen, at that moment at three in the morning, I realized something. God doesn't want you to live in the life of maybe. He wants you to live in the life of gonna be. He doesn't want you to live a life of I hope so. He wants you to live this life of I know so. Why? Because I'm convinced of the character of Yahweh. And I wanna live in a prophetic life that says, God will get the victory. And I don't know exactly how it's gonna get there, I don't know if we have to zig or zag, if we go through that corner or this corner, but here's what I know. My God is not going to abandon me. And Mary shows us how to live an inspired life of victory. And I want to live that way. Anybody else? Guys, that's three in the morning. That's three in the morning, right? I didn't come up with that. I felt like the Spirit says, Brad, you need to know something right now because sometimes it does look scary. 
The, life, the, the, the path looks dark, but you're not alone. Mary was a 15, 16-year-old girl, and she has to tell everybody she's pregnant, and it's not Joseph's, right? And how is that going to work out? And all that she's going to experience, but here's what Mary needs to know, and here's what Brad needs to know, and here's what you need to know. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I am faithful. And if you trust in me, you're going to be okay. Look at what Hebrews says. Last scripture, I promise. But look what it says. It says, for the word of God is alive and what? Powerful. Can we all say that word? Powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the sword or the soul and the spirit, between the joint and the marrow. Look at this. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Why is it alive? Oh, man, because he's alive. Why is the word of God alive? Because Jesus Christ is what? Alive. And sometimes he just wants to wake you up at three in the morning because you've been meditating on, on his mom. And he wants to say, I didn't leave her and I'm not going to leave you. Some of you need that word this morning. You need to stop snacking and expecting transformation. And you need to start meditating day and night. You need to start having this pliable spirit with God that says, God, I'm, I'm not going to call the shots anymore. I'm not going to relegate you to the margins, to the leftovers. I want to go on a journey. I want my mind to be scripture soaked so that when I make a choice, I know it's coming out of this reservoir that's been shaped by the word of God. When I was 13 years old, I was in a church and the pastor says, I want everyone in my church here to make a commitment. You're going to get a journal. You're going to read one chapter of the Bible every single day and you're going to journal thoughts, reflections, and then you're going to write a prayer. I was 13. I'm a, I'm a rule follower, right? So I got the journal and I started I eventually worked all the way through the Bible. There were some places, like the noonday groping, I was like, I have no idea what this means, right? But I meditated through. And I'm not 100% sure I've been leading our church well in this area. And I want to fix that right now. Church, we've got to be people who take God's words seriously. We've got to put it front and center. As Evan said last week, we've got to talk about it in community. Some of my best conversations are around God's word with my friends. And I learn things I wouldn't have learned otherwise. It's this didactic dialogue back and forth where we're just kind of, man, and what about this? And did you think about this? And, you know, it's like that scene at the end of Luke. I, I got I to gotta stop. But, you know, where they're with Jesus and they're like, did our hearts not burn within us when he opened up the scripture? Like when I'm with my friends, I feel like Jesus is right there with us. And we're just like, wow, this whole year I've been just wrecked by Philippians chapter two. I've been wrecked by it. It's another sermon for another day, but whoa. Here's my challenge. And I want us to take this challenge. So you can get your phones out and you can take a picture of this, okay? So put my challenge up there, you guys. 
I want you to choose a book from the Bible. No more snacking, okay? I want you, once you've picked the book, you're going to do this with your friends, okay? I want you to watch the Bible Project overview of that, okay? So whichever book, pick Ephesians, pick John, you pick Leviticus, okay? Watch the Bible Project's overview, and then I want you to commit to reading a portion of that, maybe a chapter every day in sequence. And then I want you to find time to grab a commentary. Now, there's a free one at Bible Gateway, which I put, if you could put that picture up there, you can go back to this in a second. All right, so you can take a picture of this. They have all the InterVarsity Press commentaries for the New Testament, which is awesome. Uh, there's a bunch of ones, ones on Bible Gateway. But you're going to take, um, and you can do the Bible Project too. They have all their commentaries there too. So you're going to go back to my list there. So you're going to read that, right? You're going you're to pick up a commentary at some point in the week. Maybe this will be like on the weekend when you have more time. And then you're going to journal your reflections every day. A little journal every day. And then you're going to talk about it with your friends. Because you're doing this in community like Evan taught last week. And then you're going to start another book. And you're going to meditate day and night. 